Hello, and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with book lovers from across the province and territory. My guest for this episode is Robin Stevenson. Robin is an author and activist who won the 2023 Lieutenant Governor's Award for Literary Excellence. I wanted to read a bit of the jury statement for why Robin was selected as this year's winner. This is what the jury had to say. Ms. Stevenson's prolific and acclaimed output impressed the jury, but we were particularly moved by the advocacy alive in her stories featuring young LGBTQIA characters and the activist work Ms. Stevenson does to speak in schools and volunteer in nonprofit organizations. Ms. Stevenson strives in both her creative projects and community life to uphold reproductive rights, expand queer representation in children's and YA literature, to fight censorship, and to mentor the next generation of queer writers. In this current moment of global politics, where we are seeing legislative assaults on the rights of queer and trans people, as well as battles over the exercise of free speech, Ms. Stevenson models for us how writing can celebrate diversity and give voice to historically oppressed people. Ms. Stevenson uses the power of story and her position as a storyteller to entertain young readers and encourage reluctant readers and to cultivate empathy. She sets a high bar for literary excellence in our province. On this episode, Robin and I talk about censorship, queer joy, and how it feels to be honored by the community with the Lieutenant Governor's Award for Literary Excellence. Robin starts our conversation with a reading. Okay, so I'm going to read a little bit from my next book, Queer History A to Z, 100 Years of LGBTQ Plus Activism. And this is a book that's coming out in May with Kids Can Press. It's middle grade nonfiction in an A to Z format, so with a one entry for each letter. And I thought I would read W and X, um, and I start with W. And one of the reasons I was I wanted to read this particular section, and one of the reasons I was excited to include this is that it's actually a little bit of Canadian queer history. And and I, I find that, you know, a lot of um, young people, the queer history that they know is very much American queer history. And I mean, they're not really separate, obviously, you know, there, there's a lot of overlap and, um, but there are also some very specifically Canadian events that I think haven't really been covered in, um, in books for kids. So I was excited to, to write about this. So this is, is W. W is for We Demand. In the pouring rain, over a hundred gay rights activists gathered in Ottawa outside Canada's parliament buildings, carrying signs and chanting, Two, four, six, eight. Gay is just as good as straight. It was Canada's first gay rights demonstration, and it happened on August 28, 1971, the second anniversary of Canada decriminalizing same-sex relationships. That had been an important victory, but two years later, discrimination continued, and the activists had gathered to demand change. One week earlier, they had submitted a 13-page document to the Government of Canada. Its title was We Demand, 
and it called for an end to discrimination against gay, lesbian, and bisexual people. The document listed 10 demands. The activists were calling for equality in employment, protection of their parental rights, and an end to discrimination in immigration policies. They also wanted the right to serve in the armed forces, and they wanted human rights legislation to ensure the same freedoms for everyone, regardless of sexual orientation. The We Demand speech was co-written by Herb Spears from the organization Toronto Gay Action. He had intended to read it himself, but crashed his car on the way to Ottawa. Luckily, he was all right, but he missed the demonstration. So instead, a student activist, Charlie Hill, read the We Demand speech. Even today, he told the crowd, Canadian homosexuals are having their careers ruined, being kicked out of their churches, having their children taken away from them, and being assaulted in the streets of our own cities. Over the next decade, new activist groups formed, marches and rallies were held, and more people came out to support the queer community. The We Demand document helped guide the agenda, and slowly but surely progress was made. During the early 1970s, several Canadian cities banned discrimination against gay men and lesbians in their hiring practices. In 1976, Canada ended its ban on gay and lesbian immigrants. A committee established by the Canadian government released a report titled Equality for All in 1985, recommending that discrimination based on sexual orientation be made illegal. The ban against lesbians and gays, gay men in the military was lifted in 1992, and in 2005, Canada became the second country in the world to legalize same-sex marriage. I would like to read the next page as well, if that's okay. Yeah. All right, so the next page is X. X is always a bit of a nightmare page. I, I had the same problem with Pride Puppy. I don't know why I decided another alphabet book was a good idea. <laughs> In Pride Puppy, I got around it by saying X was for exhausted, which is admittedly a bit of a cheat. And I've cheated a little bit again here. I've said X is for censorship. Um, so I thought I would read this one for obvious reasons. Censorship is when a powerful institution, such as the government or a school board, controls what information can be shared. Throughout history, books with queer characters have been banned by homophobic people and institutions who declared them obscene. Over the last decade, as social attitudes have changed, there has been far more queer content created. But in recent years, there has also been a steep rise in efforts to censor that content. This is especially true when it comes to books for young people. Children's books that include characters who are gay, lesbian, or transgender are frequently challenged and sometimes removed from schools and libraries. This censorship sends a harmful message to students, suggesting that there is something wrong with being queer. It can make LGBTQ plus youth feel invisible and alone, prevent them from learning important information, and have a profound impact on their mental health. And censorship doesn't just hurt LGBTQ plus students. When books are banned, Teachers lose access to educational resources, schools become less inclusive, and all students lose opportunities to learn. Students and teachers can also face direct censorship of their freedom of expression. In some schools, for example, they are not allowed to wear t-shirts or buttons supporting LGBTQ rights. And in some schools, gay-straight alliances have been forced to remove the word gay from their name or have been banned entirely. Some states even have laws that forbid teachers from discussing lesbian, gay, or bisexual people or topics in a positive way. And it's not just queer stories and writers being attacked. Books written by or about people of color are also a frequent target. Many young people are fighting back, standing up for their freedom to read and their freedom of expression. 
Across North America, students have started banned book clubs to discuss the books that are being challenged in their communities. They have written letters and petitions, spoken at school board meetings, and protested outside their schools. Librarians and teachers are fighting back, too, standing up for everyone's freedom to read. And of course, queer people continue to write books that reflect queer lives, histories, and communities. Books can be banned, but the people they represent are refusing to be erased. Thanks, Robin. My first question for you is, who are you? Uh, Well, Hannah, where to begin? Um, So I'm a a writer who lives on the West Coast of Canada. Um, I write books for kids and teens. I've written, um, I think I I have 32, if you count the ones that are coming out in the next season. Um, I'm a former social worker. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I don't know what else to say. (laughs) You were just on a big trip too, which is uh, exciting. Yeah, I just came back from three weeks in the UK. We were hiking on the Southwest Coast Path Trail, which was amazing, uh, down in Cornwall. And it's a a trail that goes along the the coast, um, along clifftops and down to the beaches and through small towns. And yeah, it was a fantastic trip. Yeah, sounds amazing. So I want to congratulate you on winning the Lieutenant Governor's Award for Literary Excellence. Because you were uh, busy on the trail, you weren't able to join us at the gala. But I wondered if you could share a little bit about what it means to you to win this award. Oh, I mean, it's amazing. It was a huge, huge honor. Um, there's so many, so many people on, on the list of, of people who won it in earlier years that I just have tremendous respect for. Um, I remember being at the BC Book Prizes Gala the year that Kit Pearson won that award. Um, and, you know, she, she's a writer whose books I have loved and, and who I have just tremendous respect for. And really never, never, never in a million years would it have occurred to me that I would ever win that award myself. Um, so, yeah, com- completely, completely blown away. It still feels a little unreal. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a huge honor, and I and I think you know, because it's not an award that's specific for um, children's books. I think that's also is also wonderful. I think that you know, Kidlet doesn't always we don't always get to sit at the grown up table, <laughs> and, and so you know to 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 have that award go to a children's writer, I think is really um, meaningful. And I think particularly in the current climate, to have it go to somebody who writes um, LGBTQ plus books for kids and teens feels like a, a huge. Um, when not just for me, but for I think for for queer kid lit writers in general who have not had the easiest of of years. So um, yeah, so it's you know just just an amazing thing. I'm I'm incredibly happy about it, and and it still feels a little unreal. Yeah, I I think there's something special too about being recognized in your own community and by your peers. Um, what does it mean to you be to be part of the BC writing and books community? It's a wonderful community. I, you know, I had no idea when I when I first started writing that writing would mean um, becoming part of a of any community. Really, I, I writing is a thing you you know you do it at home in your <laughs> in your living room in your pajamas, whatever. Like it's not a social thing. It's a it's a pretty um, solitary kind of endeavor. And um, you know, I began writing on on parental leave, so I was often writing. Um, either when my, my kid was napping or in the very, very early hours of the morning before he woke up and not even really with any intention of trying to get published, just just because I really loved writing. 
so I had no idea that it would lead to becoming part of any community. But the BC Kids writers have been incredibly supportive of me from the very beginning. And when I had that first um, manuscript and I didn't really know what to do with it, I actually met somebody who's aunt was a, a children's writer who said oh you should you should I'll I'll introduce you to my aunt and, and she'll tell you what you should do and, um, and her aunt turned out to be Julie Lawson okay. um, who, yeah right who, who very generously met me for coffee downtown and said oh you know you should send it to Orca Orca's great um, and Orca has been great I, I did send it to Orca and they did publish it um, and they have been um, you know fantastic and really that in terms of other writers in the community, I've just had so much support from the very beginning from people who have just, you know, gone out of their way to to share information, to um, make me feel a part of the community. And uh, yeah, it's it's just an incredible community. I have a group of people now that I tend to, to often write with over Zoom who sort of started during the pandemic, but we've kind of continued it. Of all um, BC, uh, mostly Vancouver Island, but Salt Spring, up as far up to Campbell River, Victoria, like all over who just get together online and write for a couple hours together over zoom every weekend, you know, um, and, uh, uh, and just knowing always, you know, if, if you have a question about any aspect of writing or publishing that you can reach out and there's people who are, are willing to share what they know and share their experience. And it's a, it's an amazing community to be part of. Yeah. And not just the writers. I mean, I think the, you know, the librarians, the booksellers, like the whole book community, the larger book community, um, the people that I've um, met through the publishers I've worked with. Uh, it's, you know, I think I was a kid that loved books and, and um, it didn't ever really think about careers in books. I don't think I really knew there were careers in books, you know, it wasn't kind of on my radar, but to have ended up um, doing work, which means I'm surrounded by people who read and love books um, would have made um, Kid Robin very, very happy to know that that was, <laughs> that, that was how things were going to play out. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about one of the reasons that the jury chose you. And and one of that was, was your activism and the way you celebrate LGBTQ subjects for kids and the way you've uh, included reproductive rights. Uh, of course, My Body, My Choice won um, the Sheila A. Egoff a few years ago as well. You know, how are you feeling these days about you, the subjects you're tackling, about your activism? Is is it challenging to be an activist and a writer at the same time, at a time when, like, I mean, your book is, there was concerns about kid activists. I was even reading the other day that um, it began with a page by Q McClear and Julie Morstead has been banned, which... I can't even understand why that book uh, would offend anyone. But, you know, like we're seeing this overwhelmingly right now. And I know it, you know, we see this, we've seen it for years, but it seems like there's an upsurge. And so I'm wondering how you're feeling these days, but also, you know, what can readers do to support our authors that we love and their books so that kids keep being able to access them in their schools and libraries? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was talking to one writer friend who said something which I try to keep in mind because it, it made me feel better when they said it, which was just that, you know, these books weren't being banned 10 years ago, but these books didn't exist 10 years ago. Um, and that, you know, the, 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 this recent, you know, rise in hate, this, these attacks on the freedom to read, these attacks on books and libraries and schools are horrific and concerning. Um, but there's also a huge amount of support 
for these books, you know, and the fact that these books are being written and being published and being shared at all is a sign of incredible progress from where we were at, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. And we didn't grow up with books like these, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I try to keep that in mind. For me, writing is probably the easiest way that I can reach a larger number of people. Um, you know, I think one could there are people that it's that that aren't willing to engage that are or aren't aren't engaging in a way that is um genuine that they're not actually you know i always want to correct misinformation when i see it but you know you could spend your entire life arguing with strangers on the internet who aren't actually going to listen to what you're saying or or you know aren't actually interested in, in more information and um so i think um you know i've had to think about what's what's most likely to be effective and for me, I think that in terms of where I put energy, um, writing is one of those things, you know, putting out, putting another book out there that that shares queer history, queer lives, queer stories is important, even if that book is going to be challenged, which, you know, at this point feels inevitable. Um, and I think the other thing is, is thinking locally, you know, that, that um, I've had opportunities to connect with people in communities where my books have been challenged. Um, and that's been an amazing experience, actually, just to sort of meet over Zoom with a group of people who are really going to bat in their small town to fight to keep their library open, to keep queer books on the shelves, um, to stand up for trans youth and trans rights um, who are just being so targeted right now. Um, and having the opportunity to meet with some of those people and hear about the work that they're doing has been really inspiring. And just sort of realizing that there are groups of people like that, you know, across North America who are um, fighting back against what's happening. Um, so I think being aware of what's happening in your in your own community, um, you know, who's getting elected to our school boards, who's, um, uh, you know, when, when books are being challenged, making sure that we're speaking up for those books and also being, you know, proactive about letting um, you know, if you have kids, for example, you know, letting their school teachers and principal and school boards know that you expect um, and want your child's education to be inclusive, that you are um, appreciate the librarian sharing diverse books with your kids and not not wait until there's a challenge, but to actually just be proactive and, and make that known so that schools are not only hearing from um, people who are opposed to uh, diverse books being um, shared with their kids right? yeah. so yeah so I think for me yeah, it's, it's sort of thinking local and and just keeping writing despite the the book challenges seem like the most useful place to put energy yeah yeah I, I, I talked to um I was talking to Harrison Mooney last week for the podcast too and and I asked him a little bit about like the protecting your energy and protecting yourself because um, it, it's hard when you're, you know, you have to argue with people on the internet and then sometimes people are unkind at author events too. How have you learned to to protect yourself in those situations so that you can bring the creative energy and not feel like drained by, you know, those things that do exist away from, from the computer and your, your writing mm -hmm. work? Well, I left Twitter. That was a good start. <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, honestly, that was, that was, a, that was um, 
a difficult decision in a way because I mean it's also where I have found a lot of um, community uh, with you know other writers and librarians and readers and book bloggers and so on. So um, so that did feel like a a difficult decision, but um, but that was definitely a good decision. Um, I, I think just trying to sort of stay focused on what's important um, and to to you know if I, if I'm having a conversation with someone who is open I'm absolutely happy to talk about these issues and I, I I don't want to just be in an echo chamber um you know I'm I think it's important that we be correcting misinformation and that we make space for people to ask questions and for people to learn as long as that's coming from a you know a good place but uh, I I don't think that it's helpful to try to engage directly with hate mm-hmm. so, yeah yeah I agree Something I think about a lot when when we talk about challenging books and, and removing books from libraries is the role that books just have in creating empathy and understanding um, they are a way that we get to get to know people and places without ever having to leave our own homes. And uh, as a reader of my whole life, just like you, I don't know where I would be without the books that I get to enjoy. But when I was talking to Harrison, he also talked about how storytelling is a way that we heal each other. And that when we read the stories and books of others, we often find healing. How do you feel about reading and storytelling as part of a healing process? You know, I mean, I'm thinking about kids because that's mostly who I'm writing for. Yeah. Um, and I think for kids, one of the the huge gifts of stories is making them feel less alone um kids worlds are often fairly small um instead of circumscribed by their their family by their community um and they may be exposed to a, you know a limited um range of ideas um and i think books both make that world bigger and introduce them to people who have different ideas and live their lives in different ways and and let them know that there are all kinds of possible ways to live your life and ways to be in the world and that people have different views and that um the way that they they're being raised or the way that their family thinks is one view of of many um and and also that there are other people who have the worries and fears and thoughts and um concerns that they have um even if those characters are fictional you know I, I don't think that matters I think it it can really make a child feel much much less alone um and perhaps offer some hope that um there are other people like them out there that they can find and I don't don't just mean LGBTQ plus people I mean like what what whatever the issue is I think kids often can feel quite alone um and it means that a kid can get that kind of support and reassurance without even having to tell anybody what they're feeling or what it is they're worried about um you know if it's something that they're not ready to talk about um a fear that they don't want to share something they're embarrassed about you know they can get that information and they can find that there are other people who feel that same way without even having to to talk about any of that um before they're ready so you know i think that's an incredible thing yeah yeah, the other thing that I'm hearing a lot of the queer community talk about is is finding ways to celebrate queer joy 
in culture. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we hear this a lot with so many marginalized books um, that they're often written for a community outside their own. And so oftentimes, you know, it's more stories of tr- trauma or struggle instead of joy. How do you try and find queer joy in the books that you're writing? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it's really important that kids don't only read about, um, you know, gay, lesbian, trans people in the context of reading about homophobia or transphobia. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's really important that they have access to all kinds of books. And I think also just, you know, kids like different kinds of books. If you're a kid who wants to read about history, great. I, You know, I'll write a book about queer history. But if yeah. you're a kid who wants to read about, you know, vampires or historical novels or sci-fi or fantasy you know I think it's important that you be able to find um, the kind of books you love that also include people that you can relate to and 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 stories in which you can see yourself right so um, I think the more the more books are out there the more kinds of books that are out there the better for me I mean I feel like my picture book Pride Puppy was my happy book um and it's it's bizarre to me that that's the one that is sort of getting challenged so much because to me that is just such a like I don't know cute happy little story about a family going off to a pride parade for the day and the dog gets lost and people help them find their dog (laughs) it's like pretty basic you know um so it surprises me that that book has had so much pushback um, but to me, that's a very happy, joyful little story. There's, there's, there's no trauma. There's no, nothing bad happens. The dog is only lost very briefly, and you can see it on the page having a good time. You know? yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that just um, having stories for for kids of all ages that just include queer people um, is really important. Yeah. Where do you go to find joy and inspiration these days? Well, the um, Southwest Coast Path was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty anxious to get back there. Um, yeah, I mean, traveling for me is I, I, I love traveling. Um, and the pandemic year, so there wasn't a whole lot of that. So this was our first trip, really, um, post post pandemic, other than, you know, very local things. So um, that was pretty great. Um, reading, of course, always um, is definitely a source of, of joy. Um and and just family and friends you know I have a a really a good life I feel very very lucky Uh, a lot of people in my life that I really love and enjoy spending time with so I'm just trying to you know appreciate that when I'm here and and also plan some adventures that was Robin Stevenson Robin is an author, activist, and winner of the 2023 Lieutenant Governor's Award for Literary Excellence If you would like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website at bcuconbookprizes.com. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram, and Facebook. Next time on Writing the Coast, you'll hear my conversation with Cecily Nicholson. Cecily's book, Harrowings, was a finalist for the 2023 Dorothy Livesay Poetry Prize. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.